like National Geographic did like contest or something of stars. And I don't know where these people went, but they were amazing. They were so beyond the stars we see here. They were just powerfully moving that they were not even individual stars anymore or even constellations that they were more than that and they were like a force that moved through the darkness and that's probably the kind of stars that Paul could see because they didn't have lights and isn't that what we want to be that he's saying be children you're children of God be pure and blameless and that we would unify like the stars do and wash out the darkness and just thinking about the darkness, like when there's no stars, how dark that is, and how you could put your hand in front of your face and not see it when it's really pitch black. But when there are that many stars, it's a light in itself, and it really erases the darkness. Like that's what he's calling us to be. Um, if you flip over to John chapter 8, go back. Put my little theory to test here. John chapter 8. In the section in Philippians, he's saying the darkness is the crooked and perverted world, the world we live in. But what's the light is John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He goes on in Matthew to say, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men. And then in Ephesians, I think these are all on your guide, so you don't have to flip, I guess. But Ephesians chapter 5, he says, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is the light that makes everything visible. I just love that Paul is telling us, you are the light. We are the light that erases darkness and pushes darkness aside. And I think the question is, so when compared to the world, the crooked, perverted world that we live in, are we the stars? Are we just one lonely star? Are we like how we see and they're just separate? Or are we becoming unified as the real stars that wipe out darkness? So that's what I really want to spend time looking at is what Paul says to do that. How do we become stars in the universe? How do we shine like that? <clears throat> so we're in just now piece a couple of pieces from what he said in Philippians. So go back. <laughs> I want to start with I'll wait till you get there. I want to start with verse 12, which says, Therefore, my dear friends, this is not NIV, sorry, I switched. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, this is the part, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And this one, it made me do a double take. Does it make you do a double take? Like, wait a minute, work out my salvation? Like... I thought our salvation was a free gift. We just hear on Sunday about grace. And why would I need to be doing this with fear and trembling? I thought God was loving and compassionate. I thought we didn't have to earn our salvation. Like, this verse should make you go like, wait a second. What's he talking about? And so that's why I want to piece this one apart a bit. Because he's not contradicting everything we thought we knew. 
I want to start with um, looking at really the work out your salvation blurb. And so the salvation piece, what does he mean by salvation? Then I think throughout Paul's writing, he uses two words where we often just use one word. We use salvation and saved to mean lots of different parts of our walk with the Lord. We say it in the past tense, like, when did you get saved? Like, I got saved when I was, like, 14 years old. That was meaning that's when I put my faith in God and I committed my life to following him. <clears throat> For that time, Paul uses the word justification. And throughout his writing, you'll see that um, the, what are these guys called? The commentators. This man, Thielman, he says... Justification refers primarily to a status of innocence that God confers on the believer and to a condition of peace that God initiates with him or her. So it's really the time that we would say when I got saved. When I put my faith in the Lord, I was justified. If you flip to 1 Corinthians 6.11, you'll see that in writing. So go back a couple books. 1 Corinthians says, um, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. So that was what happened first, was our justification. Then salvation is what is in the future. So, so if you looked at your, like a timeline of your life, this was your old self. Before you put your faith in the Lord. But at some point you confessed your sins, confessed your your belief in God, and you were justified. You were found innocent by God. God put that innocent stamp on you. That's what he died for. That's why he rose again. Was so that he could make us Innocent in his eyes, justified. And then we carry on. And then the salvation piece, how Paul usually talks about it, is that time in the future. And he connects it to the day of the Lord. I think when we see him in heaven, or when he returns, whatever happens first. Um, and Thielman again says, those who have been justified can be, can be assured that they will be saved, but their salvation awaits the final day. Sorry, my writing is so terrible. So we were justified, but then our salvation, it's not really fully realized yet, right? Like we're still in this in-between tension point of not everything has been done yet. We're still waiting. But if we were justified, we will be saved on the last day. So this time that Paul is talking about is this part in the middle. How are you going to live out this time? Are you just going to wait it out and act like your old self? Or are you going to move on? And he says, we're going to work out our salvation. We're going to work for it. Well, not work for it. That's not the point. We're not working for our salvation. We're moving in that time. We're moving forward in it. And working out 
um, just the definition of that term here, is to carry out to the goal and to carry to its ultimate conclusion. So there is a difference between working out and working for our salvation. We're not earning it. When we confess and believe. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> so this is very similar to what Rachel talked about last week in Philippians 127. I don't know where you are now. If you're in Philippians, go back to 127. This is very much the same point that he was making here. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is just another way of saying that. We're going to work out our salvation. We're going to carry this on. We're not going to give up now. I think Paul's really pushing us on to say, persevere through this time. You have something to wait for and to not give up. And it might not be easy. I think that's the words working out. Made me think of exercising, how that's not very fun all the time. And that this will, it might be hard. It will be hard. But it'll be worth it. And he says, don't give up. Press on. So to I guess some of his work out your salvation says, so we are justified in our faith. And because of that, we need to carry on. We need to keep moving. We need to finish it to the goal. We need to carry on living a life worthy of the gospel until this day of salvation. It's coming. And that last day when we will meet Jesus face to face and our salvation is fully realized at that point. That's what we're doing here. So here's a question for you at your table then, just to process this. What does it mean in practice for a Christian to work out their personal salvation? What's he talking about? How do you actually do this in your life? Um, And so either, I guess talk about that from just, that's an easy question, which... Maybe it is. I hope it is. <laughs> what are you doing to live out your salvation? If not, if you're feeling stuck at your table, I have on here look up Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and just discuss how you would how that plays out in your day-to-day life. So, okay, go ahead. Okay, so... I'm sure you came up with things, because don't you feel like you can come up with a million things that we need to do as Christians, and it kind of stirs up things that who we want to be and what we want to do, that we don't want to waste this time, that we want to become more like God, and um, so there you go. Let's, the next line of this, though, this is the part that gets me. So he says... Um, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And it just sort of bothers me. Why does he have to say with fear and trembling? Like, why couldn't he say with, like, love and grace? Or, like, something nice. Why does he have to be fear and trembling? <laughs> and it just bothered me, and I was, like, trying to skip over it. And just bothered me. And so I read everything, I read, read, and all these translations, and everybody just skips over it, I think, and left it. Fear and trembling. Like, I wanted somebody to come up with better words, make it sound nicer, and they didn't. So we're left with, with fear and trembling. So here's what I have found. So hopefully it will make it make sense. I think the what he's really trying to say, and like what he's getting at here, is that we would take this seriously. 
Um, in the message, it puts it reverent and sensitive before God, that we would be reverent. And I think that's what, when we hear fear, it's not always, I'm so scared of God, but that I'm reverent and understanding of who God is and who I am. Maybe it was the trembling piece that threw me. <laughs> I think, though, he's saying it's about being serious. And this Thielman guy should have written down his first name. But he says, we work it out with fear and trembling because such seriousness is appropriate to the task of living out their commitment to the gospel in a way that demonstrates they are genuine believers. So I just think this is different than just do your best. I think especially these women, don't we say this? It's okay, honey. That's all right that you failed again. No big deal. We'll just try again tomorrow. It kind of felt like a New Year's resolution attitude to me. Like, oh, well, we'll try again next year. And that's not what this is. This is serious. And we... In reverence to the God who spoke it and the God who saved us and justified us, this is serious that we would live this out till the day of salvation. Like, kind of how dare us take it lightly. This isn't a light situation. He saved us and he's preparing a place for us. We need to follow him and live it out. So just real quick at your table... Don't think too hard about this one. I want everyone to like go around the table and just say, how do you rate your seriousness in following God and working out your salvation? Now, I was thinking, I could say on a scale of 1 to 10, but I know you will all say 4, 5, or 6. No. <laughs> that if I said high or low, you'd all think somewhere in the middle. So you have to give it an adjective. Let's try it that way, okay? Because, of course, we all want to be more serious, but... What, how would you describe your seriousness? Are you really, really serious and you take following God like it's the most important thing ever? Or maybe it's you're kind of lame about it and nobody even knows that you live this way except when you're here. Maybe you're a beginner. Maybe you're a quitter. Maybe you're trying or you're struggling. Maybe you're growing, moving forward. So just go around the table real quick. Give it an adjective. No need to describe it. We'll talk again in a minute. Okay, go. Okay, so here's a question for you. How many people, raise your hand, I guess, how many people wish you were more serious than you actually are? Okay, then here's the question. Why aren't you? Why aren't you serious? What is it that makes you not be serious? What gets in your way, maybe? What's your obstacle? What's your attitude? Let's discuss that for a minute at your table. And if you can, I'll get a turn. What do you think is the number one thing, reason why you're not as serious as you want to be? Okay, go on. Okay, let's keep going. thought I would tell you about what I felt like was my giveaway of how serious I, how serious I am. Um... All I think I just said, I got saved when I was really young, when I was in junior high. So by the time I was in college, I was, you know, really following after the Lord a lot. Um, and was in a, had a strong group of Christian friends. And so um, I was the real deal young. And um, But I felt like this was, this always gave me away. And I mean, it's kind of comical, I guess, but it still felt the giveaway. I felt like every single morning, 
no matter how early I had to get up, I always, always, always had time to take a shower. I never left the house without taking a shower. But I did not have time to pray. And that bothered me. Like, I know that's kind of silly, and but I don't know. Like, I feel like that must have been the Lord going, um, so what are your priorities then? Obviously, I've had three children, and so that showering role has slid a bit. <laughs> but then, and when I worked outside of my home, that was, and I would never come here looking like a slob. And so sometimes that does come back to me. Uh, you have time to make yourself look good, but you don't have time to pray. So that was like the giveaway to me. And I don't know, maybe you have a giveaway too about you, but... I think just though left at this of we want to be holy people and we want to pursue God and we want to be serious and we want to press on and persevere. We just left at that. I think we either work really, really hard and we still fail or we've given up a long time ago and we failed and have guilt on top of it. And like that is not where we're supposed to be. That contradicts what God is, who God is, and the grace that he's given us. So I think I put in here the game changer, which I didn't realize was a sports analogy, but my husband was proud that I used a sports analogy. The game changer here is in verse 13, because Paul doesn't stop with, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Good verse 13 it says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. The voice version's better. So hold on. Um, where'd it go? Continue to work out your salvation with great fear and trembling because God is energizing you so that you will desire and do what always pleases him. I think this is the difference. We're not working at it alone. We're working because God is working in us. And he's actually stirring up desire within us and stirring up conviction and stirring up that I've got more for you. And then he doesn't even just leave it at that because we still fail. He actually gives us the power to see it happen. And that is what's awesome here. Um, I... Just have some examples. I mean, I want you to think about what what God is stirring in you. What is God energizing in you? What desires is He raising up in you to actually act on? Um, just some examples from my life. Um, three, well, just about three years ago, I had my third baby. So I've got three children. My son is eight, and I have a five-year-old daughter and a three-year-old daughter. Most of you have seen me chasing down my three-year-old through this building or through the parking lot because she's a wild woman. So that's my youngest. And when she was born, the it just, I mean, the whole prayer and quiet time thing has always been really difficult. That is something I always work at. I wish it would get easier, and I'm just convinced it's something you have to always work for. Um, But at that time, I just had my third child and was chubbier and was like, I have three babies. Uh, Will I ever exercise? And I don't like to exercise anyhow. So I'm like, that going against me. I've never exercised before. And now that I needed to, it was a lost cause. But God was stirring in me. 
at like all the wrong time, right? Like he could have stirred in me when I was much younger and could have done something about taking care of myself. But he stirred in me when I had three little babies and it was impossible. Um, but he just started convicting me of making my health a spiritual issue that it never was before. You know, like when people have talked, I know up here people have talked, just in church people talk about, you know, your overeating is a sin. I was easily turned my head about away from that one. But this time I couldn't. It was stirring in me. It was everywhere I looked. I was just convicted and convicted, but feeling very like, well, this will never happen. And I, it's just, this was a really dramatic thing that God changed. I feel like this was Mary that, like, got born again. Again. And I don't, I don't even know how. God changed my mind about it. God changed my heart about it. God made a way where there absolutely was not a way. You know, like, I was literally doing workout videos holding my babies, you know? And, but that's, God did it. And I had lots of reasons for it not to work. And, just because of the prayer thing, Bram, like, God tied that into, like, I didn't have enough to do. He was, like, giving me two things I needed to do. I'm like, I can't do either of these anymore. And he just changed it, and the way I thought about it changed. And God changed how I was, my priorities about it, and made me serious about these two things. And everything else had to give. And at some point along the way, really, God told me, you got two things to accomplish in any given day. Spend time praying and spend time exercising. That's it. Everything else can go. This is it. So whatever little window of time I might have in a day, I had to choose between these two things. I mean, chances are I didn't get to do both. But I have these two to pick from, and God very clearly told me, you pick from these before you pick anything else in your day. And that was difficult. It meant skipping, like, story hours, friend times, just taking the kids out to go do things, because I had to do these things. God made them serious for me, and he, he just changed me. It worked. when it, The one time in life it shouldn't have worked, it worked. And these have just more naturally taken a priority. And God has changed me. From that, and that's like what we're talking about here. Of God stirs it up, God's energizing you and working in you, and then gives you the power to actually do it. And that's when we see things change. I think too, we need to just like let our excuses go. Like I had, I had lots of good excuses for that. You know, like, lots of good excuses. And they were legitimate excuses. But I think even now, there are still excuses. You know, like, so for me, in the prayer one, um, so I try and pray during nap time. My daughter still takes a nap every day. The other two kids are at school. Like, I should have this really consistent window of time all to myself, even enough time to, like, watch TV and pray if I should so desire. But... It's still work because I don't clean my house very much. I'm very organized, so my house looks neat, but it's not like it's dusty and I don't care. I invite people over so that I'll clean it, you know. And so it doesn't bother me that things are dusty at all. And But you know, at about 1 o'clock in the afternoon when I got my Bible and I'm all ready, the one day the dust on the end table... I couldn't take it one more minute. 
It had probably been dusty for a year. But today, that day, at that time, I could not take it. And I put my Bible and everything down and dusted not just that table, but the entire room from top to bottom. And isn't that how it is? Like, it's still work. Even though, like, the desire and my attitude about it is so much stronger than it was three years ago or ten years ago, it's still a struggle. There are still forces working against us that we wouldn't live this out. And that's just the reality, that we need to, like, call into God every time. I think we need to just know that all things are possible with God. Otherwise... The life he called, and that the life he called me to live is possible. This life is possible, or he would have called it in the first place. If he said it, it can happen, and he's the force behind it. He's the power behind it. So we need to let go of our excuses. So I'm just wondering for you, what do you need to do to work out your own salvation? And I'm just gonna throw things out, but, um, I mean, maybe you're like me, and it's being in the Word and praying and not giving up on pursuing that. Maybe you're living in a difficult relationship that this is work to live a holy life in it. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Maybe it's about your money and it's time to be wise about it or it's time to be generous. Um, maybe I was thinking, maybe it's even about your health or something that's just or, like me exercising. That is not necessarily a spiritual thing, but God sure made it a spiritual thing. And Maybe that's for you. Maybe it's time to go to a doctor or call a counselor or be in a support group. It's time to address what is stopping you from living a holy life. Maybe it's doing something really huge. Like, I know there are people even in this room, like, the crazy things are starting to interest you. Like, a missions trip or adoption or maybe downsizing your life drastically. Maybe it's time to start a ministry. Like, those crazy things, you start going, that's crazy. Why would I ever do that? But God's stirring in you, and you can't shake those things. Those are the things I think we need to, to pay attention to. That's God rising up in us. Um, just one more example, and then, because um, that, that happened to me in the last year. This has happened. Where I was like, mm, that's crazy talk. <laughs> It was, I was just unsettled that people, I just felt like nobody was praying. I mean, me too. And it just kept coming up. You know, like where the conversation just keeps ending up there and you're like, really, again? And I started yearning for more prayer and I was convicted. I'd read a book. Um, oh, what's it called? I don't know. I'll think of it. Um, it just convicted me that we... We had the opportunity to experience God's power through prayer. That when he died and rose from the dead and tore that veil, he made a way for us to come into his presence and as a people to pray together and experience that power. And I was opting out of that power. And that just like shook me to my core of I didn't want to opt out of the power of God. And I have never, I mean, clearly, I've just made it clear, I've never been a good prayer, and I've always had to work for it. I'm not an intercessor. I'm not a prayer ministry girl. Like, that is never how I've ever thought of myself. Just like a regular Christian trying to regular prayer is how it was. But this felt bigger to me, and God just stirred and stirred and stirred, and I felt like, I felt like maybe I was supposed to start a prayer group. 
sounds that sounded like crazy talk to me. Because <laughs> I'm not the right person for that. That's not what I'm not good at. It. That's not my gift. I have a million obstacles, namely my three children. Like, how do people pray with kids around them? And the people I want to pray with have little kids. How do you do that? That doesn't work. And just it kept nagging at me, nagging at me in a good way, I guess. And we did it. My husband and I, we started a prayer group at our house. And it's awesome. I don't know why. Like, this feels like one of those things, like... God stirred it in me, gave us a desire. We really, like, took the leap of faith here. Like, okay. And even, like, I still, we only meet once a month. But so we've met for almost a year now. And every time, I still go, like, wonder if anyone will come back. (laughs) I'm not sure that this is doing anything good. But it is. God has been faithful to us, and he's answering our prayers. And we can look back, and our children have not destroyed my house yet. And... You know, so what? The, there were 25 people in my house a week ago, and we were able to pray, even with our little babies, like, climbing all over us. So I just think, like, look, God did this. And me working out my salvation was hearing that and being obedient to it and doing it, even though, like, everything said, that's crazy, and that'll never work, and you're not the right person to do something like that. That wasn't God's plan. God's plan was to have a prayer meeting in my house. And now there is. And those are the kinds of things. What is God asking you to do? What is stirring up in you? What kinds of things are being like on repeat in your life? And maybe it's huge. I know those are like giant examples. But maybe it's a small thing. Like I just recently realized that gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Like I think God just recently added that in. Never saw that one before. Like, I knew I was being patient with my kids. Like, I'm, I am pretty patient with them. But gentle, they almost like, gentle? Who put that in there? And it just like made me start to think, like, am I gentle? I don't, I don't even know. I hope I, I don't know. And I think that is God stirring in me. And I don't know, like, what's the finished product of that one. Probably gentle. But... Right now, it's just the beginning of it, and it's God stirring up and me paying attention to what do you have for me in gentleness. Okay, so all that being said, let's go to question number five. Just take a minute for yourself. I hope you've been thinking about it already. What do you think God is asking you to do? Is God stirring something in you? Maybe you only have an inkling, and you don't even know... Maybe you know and you've tried and tried and tried and you have always quit. And maybe it's time to just take it seriously and time to be obedient in it. So just want you to write that thing down. This is not a contract, so don't feel like you're committing your life to something. You can change your mind. But just take a minute and write down if you have any inkling of what God might be saying to you recently. I wonder if there's anybody feeling stuck. Like you're going, I have no idea what God wants me to do. Nothing. If that's how you're feeling, I just want to then encourage you. Like Maybe a good place to start is with just prayer and Bible study. I would bet that if you're feeling like you have no idea what God's saying, maybe you're just not putting yourself in a place to hear him. 
And God wants to speak to us, and he wants to stir in us, so maybe just committing to more prayer and Bible study. Um, I think that there may be some of you are on the other side of that and going, well, I want to do this and this and this and this and this, and I'm supposed to be da 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 And you're so overwhelmed that maybe you tend to get paralyzed in not doing anything because you're trying to do everything. Um, I think for those of us in that boat, prayer is a big one too. God doesn't want us to be paralyzed into inaction. He wants us to live something out. And I just think not everything is for everybody every moment. That I think that's where we end up feeling guilty and we feel um, just bogged down and a failure. And you can read the Bible and have like a hundred more direction on what you're supposed to be today. And it's overwhelming. And I think, I think we are better off following Paul's words here of what is God working in us. He's the one energizing us. Pay attention to that and work that out because that's when that's when we'll see things actually change. That's when God is at work. Um, I want you also just in the thing whatever you wrote down or whatever you're thinking about um, to talk about at your table is question number six. What's the next step for you this week? Like right now? to obey and work this out with fear and trembling. How can you take this serious and with reverence to God who's calling you? Um, I don't think that means, like, how will you accomplish the goal? But just what are you going to do this week to keep moving forward in it? Um, So let's talk about that. And write it down, too, because if you write it down, maybe you'll do it. But what... What could you do to work this out? How could you obey this week? Okay, the next part I want us to look at before we're done here today is um, back in Philippians verse 14 where Paul keeps this on. He like gives them the thing they're supposed to work on next. And so I think this part is pretty specific to the Philippians. Um, Verse 14 says, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, and a crooked and depraved generation. I think this is, he's telling them, like, in case you don't know what to take seriously or when you don't know what you need to do to work out your faith, let me tell you. Stop fighting. And I think we also can know that this is specific to the Philippians. If you just turn your page to Philippians 4, verse 2, he even, like, calls them out. These poor ladies, he calls out. Right, like... Just be like, these letters, how many people did they read this in front of, and how many times did they read these over again? And he calls out these poor ladies who are fighting. <laughs> but verse 2, he says, I plead with Yodia, and I plead with whoever, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. So these two ladies obviously were having trouble, and He's telling them, agree with each other. But I don't think that he is telling them to be a doormat or to never disagree. Um, 
this, you know, we've been looking at how this correlated with what's in Acts, that we've been looking at Acts 16, that that's when he wrote this. If you flip to Acts 15, get a load of this. This is another one that bothered me. Flip to Acts 15. You know, the man Paul telling them, stop fighting with each other. The paragraph right before chapter 16, like in verse 36. I'll let you get there. Acts is just a little bit in front of Philippians. Do you see what is happening at the end of 15? Paul has this big blowout fight with, who's he fighting with? Peter, I think? Or... No, Barn. No, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, "Let us go back and visit the brothers and all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing." Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in this other place and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and left. They had such a big blowout fight that they couldn't even be together anymore. And then he has the nerve to tell them, stop fighting. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So this was another one that was troubling to me, like the fear and trembling. Like, what are you really saying then? Because obviously we're missing something. If it was okay for you to do it and not okay for these girls to do it, what was the difference? So here's... Let's look at the wording on it. Complaining, the, what that means here, is like grumbling, murmurings, like that. Um, the one commentary, whatever, said, not loud dissent, but complaints muttered in a small group. Uh, hmm, that sounds like women. And then arguing, which is just like questioning, disputing things. Another version said bickering. And I think the difference here is that it's unproductive, right? Like Paul didn't say don't fight for things. He stood up and fought for all kinds of things. And he was a strong man. He obviously, like they had this big harsh debate that they separated from each other. I think maybe what these women are doing, and really, isn't this what everybody does? We just have that like complaining, whiny spirit among us, and we nitpick things and just stir that up, and nothing comes of it. And I think Paul and or who separated Paul and the other one, Barnabas. Thank you. I think their separation actually advanced the gospel. Their number one priority, their most serious thing, was advancing the gospel. And them separating actually advanced the gospel. And that perhaps if they had stayed together, they would have continued to disagree. And I wonder if their witness would have been clouded by arguing. And they were better off going their own direction. So I wonder if we are guilty of that kind of unproductive grumbling and questioning. I think we need to pay attention when we're unsettled or bothered by something um, to see if it's from the Lord. Because I think sometimes that's how he gets us to do something. But if we're just complaining because we have nothing better to talk about, I think we better shut our mouths. Because it's just destructive, right? It just breeds negativity. And 
I just think we all do this, especially in talking about church, right? Um, made me think, like, how many times do you get in the car on Sunday after church and whoever you're riding with say, so, what'd you think? Steve and I do that all the time. And what we mean is, did you get anything out of it? Did it speak to you? But it, sometimes that never even gets answered. And it, we go right into how we thought this was, how we thought that was, what we would have changed, how we would do things better. And we can go there without even thinking too much. Or, like, when you leave here, how many times do we go, like, so, what do you think? <laughs> and we all know what we're getting at, right? <laughs> it's just not, it's not productive, right? It just causes hurt. Um, I think Paul is calling us and calling them to be different, obviously, than the people around him. I think even in our culture, everybody is just negative and complaining, Um Especially as thinking, I know probably not everybody reads all this stuff online, but I read a lot, and a lot of it's online, and everything has a comment section. And you know those comment sections are nothing but negative, nothing but critique after critique after critique, and they don't get anywhere. Nothing is accomplished. They're just complaining to complain, to hear themselves complain. And he's saying, we can be different. We don't have to be like those people. We... Remember, he wants us to shine brightly. That would be really, really different. And that our witness can be clouded by arguing and complaining because then we just look like everybody else. Um, So just just to think about this further, this last question on your page, question number seven, what topics do you find yourself, or if you don't want to admit them, other people you're with, what are they complaining about? And I wonder, are they breeding negativity or are they encouraging action in advancing the gospel? Because there's a difference. So talk about that for a minute.